Nobody cares about your product. <laughs> and everybody else is selling as well, too, that's out there that's doing the same type of job. And so if there's 50 salespeople calling on an organization, I don't care what you sell or what they're selling, if it's phones, if it's copiers, if it's some kind of software, if it's freaking toilet paper, right? The buyer looks at that as a salesperson. They don't care what you're selling. They just right. see you as a salesperson. Mm. As soon as you can differentiate yourself from that pack of 50, regardless of the vertical, you have you will literally cultivate something completely different than anybody has ever dreamed of doing welcome to the innovative founder the show where entrepreneurs get real real these are the raw the gut-wrenching often hilarious sometimes shocking and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world no bs no posturing and no narcissists allowed Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, here's your hairless hosts, Bob Rignaris and Brandon Boyd. Hey everybody, Brandon here. Bob here. How's everyone? Welcome to our show. Bob, what's we, going on in your world? It's we're, we're, I'm, we are, I'm coming to you, by the way, at, at our satellite <laughs> location. I'm in Bob's daughter's blue bedroom here doing our show today in a t-shirt I've worn for two days since I'm traveling. You're welcome, Bob. Let's um, let's let's just clarify. My daughter's away at college, so yes. she's not in there watching you broadcast. She's you, you, We have an available space. Right. Because we don't want to have this annoying echo in the office. So exactly. we, we moved you across the house. Right. Kept you locked up in the bedroom. Pretty much. Gave you, gave you some amphetamines and some chocolate. Right. Chocolate. And, and coffee, yep. and you're ready Bourbon. to go. Yep. Yep. So no, uh, this, I I love I love kind of the synergy of this. I, yeah. I love how things work. Like you you are here because you were up at the cabin, yeah. which we've told people about. But in case they've tuned in for the first time, tell yeah. us about your cabin. All right, we've got a cabin update. So this so a couple of weeks last week we closed it up for the season. So again, the cabin is in remote northern Wisconsin, no address, and there's an outhouse. And I took my mother and my sister and my niece up there. And that was lovely because mom's really getting up there. And so any time up there we have with her is, is, is perfect and wonderful. So we got some time up there to grill some steaks with mom and have some laughs. And I took a, uh, a Wim Hof plunge into the lake before we left. So that was lovely. Lake Superior is about 50, 55 degrees right now. So it's good and chilly. Uh, yeah, it was lovely. It was lovely. We do it every year. And uh, it was just good to be up there with mom. And and you left early because ultimately three women do not want to spend much time in an outhouse. Right. So <laughs> the, the, exactly. You know, we were going to spend a couple of days. We came back early. You know, what's what's very interesting about this place is that time expands. So an hour feels like half a day or, you know, you spend a day there. It feels like you've been there a few days. And yeah, as romantic as in a rustic space can sound. And, and you know, we're going to talk about it today in our, in our, uh, our interview. Um, there are certainly drawbacks. You just want to get a hot shower. You just want a hot shower once in a while. Sometimes you, know? you just need a hot shower. Sometimes. I get yeah, it. You, you want something that flushes, you know, <laughs> you want flushing is good. You know, you, you, you do your business in a hole, you know, that goes. Well, into a... <laughs> Arlene and I talked about like putting a shed out there with just a hole in it for you to make you feel at home. But ultimately we, we, we shit can that idea. Right. Part of oh, the, part of the French. Uh, well, good choice of good choice of words. But what's good interesting, choice. Brandon, is like you come back from the cabin and, you know, we 
Brandon, our producer, the other brand in our life, yes. like gives us a really amazing, like whole bunch of research on guests. And I, we were totally surprised with this, but our guest today is Dale Dupree, who moved his whole family from Orlando, Florida to the mountains, the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. And so it was like, oh my goodness, like Brandon found his people. And there's there's also this thing we talk about in terms of a weapon. I think we'll we'll leave that as a mystery. But isn't it cool like 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 to have and find a connection with somebody like that so fast? Yes. Yes, because some some of the circles I walk in that, you know, tell people about outhouses and got to get a boat to go somewhere. Some people are in awe, like, oh, that sounds incredible. And some people are like, oh, no, nah, no, thanks. I'll take the hotel. In fact, Bob, I think you're one of the that would take the hotel than pooping in a hole on the sand. Yeah. 50 degree water for baths. That's yeah, like if, your thing. If, if you and I were at the airport, there was two seats left on the plane, <laughs> one in the back and one in first class. You know that you would. It was just Bob would get first class. That was just <laughs> that. That's just the way it would have to go. <laughs> just there's no other options, right? It's the diva. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm the diva. Bob yeah. needs Bob needs the napkin, the the white napkin. He, he, needs, he needs that. The he glass of wine. That's what Bob needs. That's so. okay. That's okay. It's all good. But okay. um, I, I think I think our guests are gonna fall in love with Dale today. Yeah, he is leading a rebellion. Yes, he is. Uh, the site's called the the salesrebellion.com. He's curating a community. There's about it's about two thousand strong of people who are just sick and tired of kind of the posturing and and the way people go about life. And he's he's operating from a completely different paradigm. Once you hear it, if you resonate with it, you're gonna want to go over there and check it out. I think mm -hmm. um, certainly you and I are you know based on our discussion over breakfast we're like yeah this is this is something that the world really needs so i i was completely energized about this convo i think you all listening are gonna love it and so with we'd love to introduce you our our friend mr dale dupree and dale dupree welcome to our show how's it going today where are you calling in from Fantastic. On top of a mountain in the middle of East Tennessee in my cabin with zero cell service and Wi-Fi only. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Where, whereabouts? Like, yeah. Whereabouts? What mountain? What mountain range? Smokies. So I'm in the Smokies. It's called Chilhowee Ridge. So it's technically a ridge. I don't know if that like matters, but it's pretty high up. So that's a cool brag. Nice. Nice. So nice. How'd you end that, up there? Yeah. Is that home for you or is that like a getaway spot? Yeah, my wife and I just moved here at the beginning of the year. It's a place my dad has brought us since we were kids. So it was kind of a familiar spot already, but I'm born and raised in Orlando, Florida and a resident there for 36 years. So this is, it's a fresh new start for us and our little family to just get away from the hustle and bustle of the world and be more intentional with each other. Go, go ahead and brag, Brandon. Dang it. Make, make your bond, make your bond. Okay, okay, make my bond. Okay, so Dale... I've got a cabin my parents built in northern Wisconsin. I've been going there since I was four. There is no physical address I can give you to get there. I'd have to give you coordinates and you have to get to it by boat. And there's nothing but an outhouse and a generator and some propane run refrigerator and stove. And you and you are 10 steps from Lake Superior, not an inland lake, the the Lake Superior. So I just when, was there. When do I get to go? <laughs> I see some exchange of 
destinations going on here. I live in Colorado, so I'm right near the mountains, but I I love the water as well. So I just got back from there. We closed up the cabin for the year for with my 90 year old mother and sister and niece and just had a great time. Took a plunge in 55 degree water before I left. And uh, that was so fun. That would that. So I I get the call of the wild. I get the feral experience. So so how's your life? How has it changed, Dale? How's it changed your life living up there? Big time. I was going to say, though, that don't people pay like eight hundred dollars to do a cryo freeze like that or whatever right? it is like exactly. you got it you got it for free. Actually, my wife and I were joking about that when we first got up here because the rivers, you know, it, it's it's still at winter. Like there's actually a winter season, not like Florida, where winter is 72 degree lakes. Right. right? Yeah. It's like actually cold. So shout out to all the people that spend $800 on cryo freezes. We'll be doing it for free, you know? So, but yeah, my, my, uh, the life has been cool from the perspective of the way that it's evolved and everything that Tennessee has provided for us. And this little slice of heaven out here, the, the experience has been phenomenal, life-changing. If I, if I do dare to say in comparison to where we were, it's a huge culture shock. It's much different. It is nothing but white people as opposed to where we were <laughs> prior to. And and you would think that, you know, being a white male myself, that there would be some comfort in that. But I was cultured around and in Orlando, Florida, a very melting pot place of people. And so it, sure. it's a little strange sometimes. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie that I kind of miss a little bit of that, just that diversity and the, what the culture in Orlando provided for us. But ultimately, you know, the reason we're here is for us and, and for our personal development and growth. And we've already built our communities, right? We have communities back home that we're still involved with. And, and I have a community around the entire world of people that <laughs> I've, I've developed relationships with and I'm very intentional with so that I can still have that type of outlet, right? So up here, really the focus is just the woods, right? It's, it's the mm-hmm. idea of like being back in nature and, and just reconnecting spiritually and, and also physically and emotionally with each other as well, too, as a husband and wife. And then it's really dope to be able to just like kind of have a place where there's no distractions when you're with some, you know, like my son, like I'm sitting literally in the same room as them right now doing this call, which is not necessarily something I would have done back in Orlando either. Right. And, and right. what's, what's interesting though, is like, if I go upstairs and I do this call, I might not get internet service. So <laughs> I have to, I kind of have to do it down here too, but it's those little inconveniences as people would see them that actually create a better experience for, for me and my family. I love that. What's been something, how long have you been there? When did you move there? So we, we got here December 31st of last year. So right at the new year. So what's something that you thought was going to be a, perhaps something you, you, you thought you were going to miss and maybe you missed it the first month or two in, but now you're like, Oh my gosh, I don't miss that at all. This might sound strange, but at first it, it, it was particularly, it was the conveniences like Uber eats or yeah. we had a Publix shopping center. Like literally I lived off of Stetson and Yale and college park in downtown Orlando. Hmm. And, and the Publix is literally on the corner of Yale, like one block away. So so I, I, I was literally on, on this road that like the two roads that connected to it literally took you to everything you wanted, coffee, shopping, anything. Right. And so at first I, I felt like the conveniences of those things were going to kind of suck to not be available anymore. You have to drive 28 minutes, sorry, 26 minutes to get to civilization and then 28 minutes to get to the first like store. 
and then 30 minutes to get 32 minutes to get to the grocery store as an example right up here so so you have to be very cautious about planning your time mm, and yeah. being intentional about certain things like going to town as opposed to just like walking out the back door for getting a pineapple and then driving your car you know 90 miles an hour and getting back to this to the store in 30 seconds and coming back home again right now it's no matter what, it's an hour and four minutes if I have to go back to the grocery store to and from, right? So, so now at first I thought, man, this is going to suck, right? But I, I'll say that actually it's been really cool to not be so dependent on those conveniences and mm. and have more of a plan of action around your day, your life. And then also being like content as well too with like not having something, just like get it tomorrow or we'll get it next time we're down or whatever the case may be. It's actually taught me a lot of patience as well. And, and weirdly, like you, your question was posed, it, it really isn't that bad. <laughs> as strange as that sounds. So how does, how it. does that, how does that affect your day to day? So we're, we're going to dig into kind of what you're doing in your business, but like, is it, is it been a huge shift in how you, how you work with your clients? No, because I already was remote for the most part with with our client base, the people that we train and and teach sales to, even the leadership programs that we have with sales leaders or you know startups or founders, CEOs, kind of thing, right? But we ninety percent of what we've done since two thousand and nineteen has been like remote over phone or over Zoom, and so for us, it was for me, it, it, I should say, it's been an easy transition, and I'm. 35 minutes from the, the Knoxville airport, which gets me to my Atlanta hub and gets me anywhere I need to go. And it gets me to my Atlanta hub in 30 minutes. So it's kind of like a, just an easy little transport to a, to a connecting flight that takes me anywhere I want. So if I am on site, it's, it's actually much simpler than Orlando because in Orlando, it was like, who's going to drive me parking costs $90 a day yeah. to leave my car there. Like at Knoxville, it's like 10 bucks a day and, <laughs> and there's no traffic and there's no one there. And it's, it is just a completely different perspective because of that. It's actually created convenience more so than anything from that perspective. And it, it's, what's cool is that I, I got two places to work, right? I can work out of the house up here in the relaxing middle of nowhere, or I can head down to the city and get my fix as an extrovert, like just being around people in a coffee shop and, and doing my calls. And, you know, technology is amazing these days that I can sit in a hustly, bustly shop with, you know, 40 people standing around me talking and no one can hear them. And, and, and so the conveniences of those types of pieces of evolution in regards to the way that technology works. It just made it so simple for me to basically direct and dictate my own life instead of it being directed or dictated to me. Love that. Love that. Let's talk a little bit about your evolution. You've got some interesting things in, in your backstory. Tell me about the world of copiers. So <laughs> I understand you were awarded, a, well, let's first of all talk food truck. That's the important stuff. We got to talk about food. You were awarded a James Bear Award for, for food truck. So tell me about this food truck because food is awesome to talk about. <laughs> yeah, food for sure. Awesome. So I, that was actually, it was a fun side project I had with, a, with an old friend of mine that I kind of grew up in the music scene with. <clears throat> And, and I was selling copiers at the time, but it was just part of that like entrepreneurial spirit that I have. 
I thought I got tons of money. Let's put it into other things. Let's make it something that I can control to an extent. What I mean by that is that I could put it in real estate or the stock market, but that's you know what it is, right? Whereas if I have a business and I've got you know somebody else running it, and I'm you know essentially the money person helping with sales, doing the things that I'm good at doing. I felt like there was more control on that. And, and within that first year, it was pretty cool. We, we were a food truck and we got nominated and won a James Beard competition for a burger, which was like nice. 90% mushroom. And, you know, it was no, there was no meat in it. Technically it was like just a small amount, right? Where we, we had to get like super innovative and in making the food. And shout out to the chef, you know, ultimately like the creation is his. And I ultimately believe that the award is his and the company is at the end of the day. And that food truck still exists. I'm not a part of it anymore, but one of the founders is 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 still there and they got new chefs, but you know, the food is still absolutely fantastic there. And it was a really good lesson in like opening a business that was a side project that was actually 24-7. It was like it was a <laughs> hardcore hustle, right? Because food is something that that a it's it's not extraordinarily profitable unless you can build it into a profit center Mm, so strategically you have to say we're going to lose our butt for at least the first year at a minimum and possibly two three four years but secondly you know there has to be a connection between the founders most importantly around Mm. the the per the the trajectory of where you want the business to go because it's one thing to be like let's open up 70 (laughs) locations around the united states another thing to have like two really solid spots like a food truck and then eventually a restaurant brick and mortar where you can have diversified menus you can create experiences for people you can provide something that's more valuable than just like a cheap meal or a burger, but it's something that people crave to be a part of. And it's culturally driven instead of, you know, they got a 99 cent menu or 50 cent wings tonight. Right. Kind of thing. So, so there's like, there's a lot of really popular things in the food world really that we were trying to get away from. Right. So if you showed up to our food truck, you'd spend 50 bucks, like at a minimum to get food, because first off, we made we made the menu basic, but it was expensive, essentially, to get to eat our food. And and so because of that, like, sure, there was a lot of money coming in and out. But ultimately, again, it's it's a 24 seven business. So if that truck drives home and it breaks down or a car hits it or there's a storm, right? Or like whatever the case, right? Like an oven goes, the whole freaking thing is down, right? So so there's a lot of intricacies to a food truck. And then, you know, the restaurant side of it is just even more intense, right? There's, it's just a big giant problem. But what was cool about (laughs) it was really getting to understand the the dynamics and learning new, you know, forms of leadership and also getting to test, you know, communication with, with people that have been in that type of industry for a long time and, you know, building something with people that have been in an industry like that for a long time and coming in as an outsider, just somebody that knew how to chef and they like chefing, but also, you know, that, that is a huge foodie, right? That's all I was, right? Like more than anything, <laughs> I just had marketing and sales at my back. So it was, it was a great time. I'll never forget it. You can actually go to like YouTube and type in bearded chef, James beard award, and you can watch like a, two, three minute video highlight of like us up in New York, do it like cooking for a bunch of people out of the James Beard house. It was a lot of fun. I love that. My, my teenage son got to work at a food truck here for the last <coughs> excuse me, year and a half. And it really, I really watched him kind of open his entrepreneurial chops and, and be thinking about, Ooh, if we we're giving people too many fries, they're dumping them. So if we do serve less fries and this many per hour, we can make this much more profit. I thought, Oh, this is wonderful. 
But I also think what I'm hearing is, you know, he, he's 16. There's a romanticization <clears throat> of the food truck Easy and, for and you entrepreneurism in general. But uh, but I hear that coming through pretty loud and clear. Yeah, I think anything that anything that we want to commit ourselves to in life, we should have a, a sense of romance toward and that we should be cherishing. So if I look at something like a food truck, I need to think about how do I cherish it and and how do I create romance here? Because if I don't, if I don't ultimately love it and want to be around it, then I will hate it, you know, at the end of the day. And I think that that goes for anything anybody's doing in life, you know, whether it's relationships with people or playing video games or, you know, if you take a bigger picture perspective toward those types of activities, or you think about business from a different perspective altogether, then we can get rid of the, the, all the stereotypes, the negativity, and just the status quo bull that's out there in this day and age that people say doesn't exist, right. Or that can't exist outside of the status quo, right. People say like, no, you can't love your work. You can't have friends at work. You can't have family at work. It's a business. Like I grew up in a business where my dad ran it for 29 years. And at his funeral, every single freaking person they ever sold a copy or two was there, right? Wow. And they weren't they weren't there to just be like, yo, your dad was a cool guy. I mean, they came and were emotionally con- and contextually involved in that day with us, right? It wasn't just like, yeah, we wanted to pay respects. It was like, this hurts, right? And, and the thought process wow. behind that is <laughs> when people say things like, there's a disconnect, you know, between personal and business and there should be, it drives me nuts because I watched my dad do the literal opposite, live an extremely fulfilled and happy life and doesn't have the story of all these other founders and C-suite folks and the guys at Apple and Google and whatever else, right. They all have gone off of their freaking rocker, right. They're, they're like superhuman, you know, clone people now that have had yeah. so much facial surgery yeah. and reconstructive work <laughs> that you don't even recognize them. And their brains are like on a completely different level of just not being human anymore because all they care about is power and wealth and status. Mm-hmm. And that all ties back to that initial thought of the romance is gone. It truly is and for those people. And I don't feel bad for them because I'm sure they're living great lives, but who shows up, you know, to their funerals, right? It's uh, the celebrities and the people that are looking for a picture of them, you know, with the grave, right? Instead of the thousands of people that came to see my dad, who was nobody in the eyes of the world. Right. But impacted the community more than Steve Jobs or any of those people ever will. Did you did you know that like about him, like before he passed or sure? Okay, it it was like kind of you guys ever seen that movie, Big Fish. It's like the best way to describe it. Right. Um, Yes. That was one one of McGregor. Yeah. So so that's a a phenomenal movie. Fantastic. Right. Synopsis is. And I'll tell you the difference too, right? Is that basically father son duo and the whole movie is just about this, this, the dad's journey and all the stories that he's always told his son and how his son basically doesn't believe him because they just feel so over the top. The difference would be that, that I believed my dad, like, and I Uh saw it go down also too, you know, as part of a lot of those experiences, but in the movie at the end, when his father, spoiler alert, passes away, he he there's this interesting moment where they go to the to the memorial and all the things the people the stories they're there and and the son is just like whoa you know like how intense that that really like my dad was a superhuman he was larger than life ultimately and that the things that he experienced you know like i might have seen as exaggerated but really these things happened 
ultimately. And, and, and so, yes, we knew it because we grew up in it. We didn't just hear the stories, right. We grew up in it. And, but I don't know that we all expected that, right. Like we, we, we went to the church we grew up in, it held 800 people. We thought that'll be more than enough. (laughs) You know, I looked out and there was just a sea of humans when I was giving the eulogy and there's people standing up against the walls and I remember seeing people sitting on laps, you know, like in the back. I mean, it was just, it was an, a pretty intense emotional moment, emotionally charged moment, really. But it was like shared, you know, by everybody was there. So it wasn't just us saying we knew this would happen. It was kind of everybody saying this is pretty amazing to see and individually knowing that they why they were there connecting that to other people, I think really cost more impact than my dad's life to an extent, you know, from that perspective. And that when people got to see like, wow, this guy intentionally put time in with so many people, how did he even do that in the first place? Right. And, and how superhuman is it? And I think it really motivated a lot of people that were in there to think I could do that. Right. I could, I don't have to live in, in scarcity and, and mediocrity. And I can have the same type of mentality and mindset that Curtis did. And, and I can build something like this and that a legacy to, to me became much more relevant in those moments. Like I've always understood legacy and believed in it and wanted it. But you know, I was 30 years old when my dad passed. And, you know, for me, it was like, man, I, I'm going to miss a lot of my life without him. And he was only 60, just about to turn mm-hmm. 61. Mm-hmm. And so it was a, you know, it was a tough moment, but I've clung to legacy since then because of that. So, you know, like you were asking, did I know? Yes, I knew I lived in it with him. I was, I've literally been in the shadow of that man my entire life. And I still stand in it to this day because it was a big shadow and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And I realized that for me, I realized when he did pass is that that's a baton more so than it is just like a, a place where you lay that person to rest and they're gone forever. It's, it's a baton because it's, it's, it's like a movement, right? It's, it's belief suddenly that, wow, you know, we don't have to suddenly just say he's gone and that's it. We can continue to, to live his legacy in our own ways, me and my siblings and through our children as well too. And then also through the communities that we cultivate through things like work by treating them from this perspective of that work is life. Life is work, right? Mm. Instead of trying to say that, no, I got to work to live, you know, screw that. I hate that concept. Right. And, and when you earlier, when you said, tell us about copiers, then you jumped to food, right? Because you were like, the ratings are about to sink if we go there first. <laughs> Right? Because, <laughs> seriously, right? Think about it. Like I was in one of the most mundane, generic, boring, vanilla industries there possibly is, but I, I had a lot of fun. I turned it into something extraordinary instead of something, you know, black and white, no pun intended. And, <laughs> and the thought process was because I wanted to love what I did and I wanted it to be a part of my, my ecosystem, of yeah. what I was accomplishing as a human. Hey, what a great conversation we're having with Dale Dupree. He's leading a rebellion. He's he's Luke Skywalker. He is part of the salesrebellion.com. If you're resonating with what he's talking about, if you're tired of doing sales a certain way, if you're tired of doing business a certain way and you think there's a better way to do this, you want to check the resources that Dale has over at the salesrebellion.com. I think you would you're going to be very pleased. Join us over there cuz Brandon and I are certainly going to hang out there. Now back to the show. You're listening to the Innovative Founder. 
Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brendan Boyd. So tell us about this a little bit. So the notes tell us that you're one of the only copy salesmen to wield a sword. What in tarnation is that about? It's for real. Like, I actually had a giant sword. I still do to this day. I don't know where it is. I think it's a storage, but here's a, I actually have a marketing piece for anybody that might see hey. this, but if you don't, I'll describe it. I I'm on a four by six size business card fighting a copier with a sword. And it's like <laughs> mortal Kombat style with health and the whole nine yards. And it says KO fatality on the top. And so I, I literally had a sword and the, 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 it was funny, right? But the 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 moral of it was is that I was there to defend the community I sought to serve and not to attack it and conquer it like every other salesperson was. I was there to defend it. And that was the the purpose of like creating what we dubbed the copier warrior, which was my personal brand while I was working for other organizations and how I really for my sales career instead of you know allowed it to be something that was like given to me through the company I represented. So you you were creating that type of advertising and Brandon, I come from this world, the Dan Kennedy world, like outrageous advertising, you know, those types of things like you were doing that. You were essentially I mean, is it accurate to say you were just working a job? I literally was just working a job. Yes. So is that something like your is was that something your dad kind of did and you took off or is it like did you take what your dad did and go, I can make it even more outrageous? So my, my, the story is, is that my dad starts his business in 1984. I'm born a year later and toners running through my blood and then it doesn't matter <laughs> what I'm going to do. I'm coming back to copiers. Right. So, right. so I was in music. I played music. I was 17 years old, you know, lining up tours, getting ready to graduate from high school, hitting the road and then getting signed to a major record label. I started with a, a Pluto records and indie label, and then ending up on East West Warner brothers and and doing something that a lot of people like dream to do. Like, yeah. Just played music every night in random cities and states for random people, which eventually became friends. And like, it's actually the start of my sales career, technically. Right. And had started the, the mindset of like how to build a community. Right. You know, I was 18 years old, showing up to a place that I'd played like three times, you know, in another state and recognizing like 25, 30 people and going, oh, wait, so we can wow. get people to consistently come back to these things. It doesn't have to be strangers every night. And, you know, so, so I had fun in my life. Right. And I had a lot of fun in my life leading up to actually becoming a copier salesperson. And I got sucked back in through that identity of like, this is just who you're going to be, bro. Like ultimately. <laughs> and that's how I see it at least. And because it wasn't something I woke up every day going like, I'm going to go work for my dad. Right. But there was, there was fallout with the band and it started with addiction, heroin got involved. Right. And it was like, we got to change things. We lives are going to be lost or broken destroyed. Mm-hmm. And, and because of that, we had to make hard choices. And it was like, yeah, I'll go sell copiers for a little bit. Right. And then I'll get out of it. And then, you know, 13 years later, I started this business, <laughs> you know, the sales rebellion. Right. So, so I spent a decade and some, and some change inside of the industry and, and from day one, I said to myself, there's no way I'm coming into this and I'm going to be bored to tears. And, and now my dad didn't have a creative 
mindset or methodology toward what he was doing, but he was literally on the cutting edge of technology. This dude was like the first guy with a cell phone, right? The big ones <laughs> oh, like yeah, this, the that brick. you hooked the up into ones, the yeah. aux of your car, right? Yeah. And like, yeah. I, the best story was that he used to roll into people's driveways and call them on their landline and tell them he was in the driveway calling no. them from his cell phone. And isn't that a, isn't that a crazy thought that's, that yeah, somehow just, that was like a that's cool thing right to there. do? That's original yeah. gangster. That's okay. Yeah, it really is. It. And what's even more gangster is at the end of the month when they gave him a cell phone bill, his company did for 490 $90, which you and I think is not that much money. Back but this then? was 19, like, I want to say it was like 89 or Ooh. even earlier than that. I want to say phone bills the first... were, they were 20 bucks a month. Bro, oh. that's like two grand, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so, so the, my dad, you know, he would walk into a, an appointment and he'd be talking and people like, what's going on? And then he'd click his Bluetooth off and go, Hey, and people would be like, what's in your ear? You know, like he was that guy. <laughs> and because of that, he was interesting and, and people were curious about what it was that he was curating. And because of it, he was also like on the cutting edge of technology. So a copy machine wasn't just a copier to him. He always was the person saying like, this will lead to digital transformation in offices. Eventually people will scan from these and nothing else, right? That was my dad's wow. message always. Wow. So that's where the success really came in for him from that perspective of just how he was doing it differently than everybody else. It was just pushing boxes and just selling paper, right? Like he was the guy that was going, let's stop printing altogether. Let's, we need these things right now as mediums, but let's start to evolve them so you can use it in some a, a more efficient manner inside of your office. So because of these old document management, storage solutions, you know, EOS systems, and, and, and that's what I came into, right? So I came into this very high level tech organization and not really a boring copier company like most people have to go through. So right. I was encouraged to think outside the box, just not, you know, there were no swords, there were no six foot cardboard cutouts of themselves. There was no dynamite inside of toner bottles. Like the things I did were very progressive outside the box and creative, but because my dad was such a forward thinker, he never pushed back. Right. So the early stages, I never got pushed back, but when he sold his business, I was only, we worked together for four years before he sold his business. The people that came in and, and, <laughs> and took over were like, what, this isn't how we do it. Right. But um, right. As, instead of quitting or, you know, bucking them from the perspective of, of just kind of like, putting my nose in the air, I basically said, well, let me prove you wrong. Just give me the chance to prove you wrong. Because if I can't prove you wrong, that means you were right. And we'll call it a day. 90 days later, I became the number one rep of that organization, eventually became their VP of sales. And I curated, I mean, somewhere in the ballpark of like 15, 16 million total dollars in before and after market and copier sales in five years. So Amazing. Really, the lesson, Dale, is just don't be boring, right? I mean, like... That's what I'm hearing. Like... I mean, you're, you call yourself an extrovert. It's like, I mean, essentially what your dad taught you is like, be cutting edge. Don't be boring. Like if you look like everybody else, you're 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 going to get what you deserve, which is basically nothing. You'll get average returns if that if that. Totally agree with that sentiment. And and the, the way that that statement lines up for me is that how, how many salespeople are out there selling the product you sell? I don't really care how sexy your product is. I don't really care if it's SaaS and, you know, you're making a big deal out of it or whatever the case, right? Because I think there's a lot of bloated egos in the sales world too about their product. Nobody cares about your product <laughs> and everybody else is selling as well too. That's out there. That's doing the same type of job. And so if there's 50 salespeople calling on an organization, I don't care what you sell or what they're selling. If it's phones, if it's copiers, if it's some kind of software, if it's freaking 
toilet paper, right? The buyer looks at that as a salesperson. They don't care what you're selling. They just right. see you as a salesperson. Mm. As soon as you can differentiate yourself from that pack of 50, regardless of the vertical, you have you will literally cultivate something completely different than anybody has ever dreamed of doing. Tell us a story about an, an, a, a, a customer, an event that proved that to be so true for you and, and kept you going and continuing that. Was it, was there a tough sale? And then when you injected some personality and creativity and fun into it, it, it got the attention and it, it, and it got you the, the client. Tell me something that validated that for you. Well, there's, there are too many stories for me to just tell you one. So how I would, how I would wrap it up is I would say that the first time that somebody ever came to me and said, Hey, I just want to be very blunt with you that you're more expensive than these other people and that we never do this, but we're going to take a chance with you and we're going to spend more money. But we expect that the things that you have put down on paper here and the guy that has shown up over the last couple months (laughs) is going to be a part of this deal. And we're going to hold you accountable to that. Right. And like, who says that? And I remember this was an experience I'd never had before. And I just thought, and I'm very fresh in my career too. I'm maybe a couple of years in and, and I just kind of thought like, Oh, that's it. Like, that's what we're trying to do. And, and then I remember like meeting people and telling that story and they being like, your customer told you they were going to hold you accountable, but they were going to pay more money. Like <laughs> that sounds like something my dad would say about my allowance, you know, but definitely not a customer. Like, so, so for me, I slowly had this realization that the outcomes that I was getting, that they were elevated. They were on a level that most people don't get to experience. It's why, it's, it's why I laugh whenever people say things like, that line won't work. That crumpled up piece of paper in the mail thing won't work. I just laugh. I just go, yeah, cool. Keep saying that. Keep doing your thing. Like, stay over there. Uh, because I'll be over here doing my thing and continuing to change the literal game. And because of that, I'll be building better relationships and getting more quality outcomes. But to give you, Brandon, to give you like one solid story. And I tell this one, not often on podcast, actually probably never on a podcast, but I do in my content. I had a university that was up against like 21 competitors. That's what I was up against. It was a $2.9 million retail sale, you know, in total value of the, the, the acquisition or the, the acquisition by the customer. And, and it was the great, it was the single largest single transaction in the company history. If I would have won it. Right. I started working this deal literally two weeks after they had signed an extension to their contract that was five years long. Okay. So for four Uh years, I did all this stuff that, that a coffee warrior does different. I created what I, I teach in the sales rebellion is the living pipeline. And I nurtured this account through experiences and through, and through small little blips. Like I, if you were looking at a radar, right? Just like, boop, like here and a boop over there that created an, an ecosystem, right? A marriage between me and this customer where, where when I, when I eventually got to the, the bidding table and I walked into that room and there's 21 other people in there, that I remember feeling like this is like, this has never happened. Right. Cause I've been in tons of RFPs up to this point. I remember feeling like I have something with these people that no one else does. Wow. And that was all the way down to like the way that they greeted me and the hug they gave me comparatively <laughs> to everybody else. And, and it, it was very small stuff. Right. But if you were paying attention and you were my competition, which none of them were paying attention, nobody ever did. They didn't care. Right? <laughs> you would, you should have been going like, there's something shady going on What's here. Going right? On here? Right. 
But right. the best part is, is that I never did anything shady, right? I did all the things that a typical salesperson would do this being ethical. I didn't buy lunches or lap dances for people like most salespeople would in these instances. Instead, I used integrity. And again, I used this concept and this system of treating a human like a human through a very resourceful nurturing campaign that was four years long that just always excited them when I showed up. And you, we talked about romance earlier when I won the deal and I I was the third most expensive person in the top three, by the way. And that is literally in the public record of the bit. If you ever wanted to go and look it up. And if somebody's listening to this or like, I want to check it out, just DM me and I'll send you the account name and you can go and, and pull the records. But what was fascinating about it, that it wasn't just the third most expensive. I was hundreds of thousands of dollars more expensive. And, and they literally told me, they said, what you curated for us was a literal solution. You didn't like for like all the stuff you, you cared, you came in, you learned, you understood what people were dealing with and you, and you built something that fixed everything. And one of the buyers said, you really romanced the future relationship that our two businesses would have. And that's wow. why we decided to go with you. And it was that's, a powerful moment. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's exciting. I mean, we, we talk about that at Feed Stories. We talk about, you know, that automating trust. We talk about, you know, trust is, is, is currency and, you know, sales letters and bullet points and features and benefits are all important and necessary. But the carrier, the personality, the human behind it, the trust, the resonance, you know, giving clients hugs. I mean, we're going to get all warm and fuzzy here, but that's how Bob and I operate with our clients. I mean, we, we have some phenomenal clients. We absolutely love them. We, we, we enjoy them as, as a friendship relationship, as much as client relationships. And even if the client relationship ends for whatever reason, there is still a strong relationship and respect base there. And, yeah. and I think it's the only way to do business. And I know that's not really popular. I think it's an ideal that a lot of people want, but we we're trying to come out of this narrative that, you know, business is impersonal. It's not personal. It's business. Oh, hell yeah. It's personal. Damn it. It is personal. And it should be personal when you're taking care of somebody, when you're creating a solution. Hey, everybody, we are loving this interview today with Dale. I resonate so much with his messaging around creating a sales message and environment and, and marketing around a personality around the human touch. And that is something we do at Feed Stories and we love doing that. So if you're someone who is perhaps struggled with the whole idea of selling something, even though you know you have a world-class solution to people's problems, but you you're always have maybe some resistance around the, the idea of selling. Well, we believe it these stories that you can do video, that you can sell your product or service in a way that is comfortable for you, that doesn't use a lot of marketing and sales tricks and hacks and old tired ways of pushing people into a decision, but rather you can find a way to resonate with your target audience and you can find a way to influence them and let them make the decision because ultimately that's what they're going to do. We're believers in video and we believe that storytelling is the bridge in between the perfect solution you have for the world and helping that ideal customer, that ideal client resonate and understand what your solution is and how that solution can help them. So if that's something that sounds interesting to you, go to feedstories.com and let's get on a discovery call with Bob and I and let's see if there's a good fit. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Ricknaris and Brandon Boyd. You sound like Michael Scott there. Business Did is I? the most, yeah, business oh, is that's the most right, personal the, thing from, in the world. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It really is. Now, it's really brilliant. Yeah, I mean, what I wrote down is like, are your prospects excited for you to show up? 
like that Ooh, that, that is like wow that that kind of blows your mind like your prospects like we can't wait for you to show up and see what you're going to do next that you've changed the game like there's not even a game you like you've already won that's mm-hmm. that's amazing yes so Dale, yeah, what it, did you do? It, Tell us a little bit about that. Like, were you, what were you doing? Give me some day to day, some practicals. Were you sending gifts in the mail? Was it cards? Like, hey, Dale's coming, and we got to make sure we're here. We don't know what he's going to do, but he's got a sword. <laughs> you know, what's it, what does that look like? Yeah, cur- curating experiences is interesting, right? And 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 literally, like that was my mission statement, Bob. And like, really, like if you looked at my core values, like one of them was like to provide excitement for the people that I served because it, it copy machine is boring. And so people would say, "Why excitement?" And I'd say, "Because exactly that. Like, how can somebody be excited about my product and my service? But if I can create something, experiences that tie back into ultimately tie back into the narrative of business, right? And what I'm selling, which is very important, right? Because the copier warrior wasn't Dale Dupree and he wasn't North American office solutions. He was the copier warrior, right? So when you looked at the copier warrior, like if, if Dale liked things, they would be mentioned to a degree, but they would, they would be done in a very systematic way that, that scientifically, right. Made more sense from the perspective of like, well, why should I care? Right. If that's the buyer's prerogative and narrative, which it is every single time, I don't care. Why should I? Right. right. You're a salesperson. Right. But so at the same time, too, there's an art form to this whole thing. Right. I think that that's the biggest thing that people miss is that like sales can't simply be boiled down into a science. Because mm-hmm. if you try to do that, you miss out on the most complex piece of the puzzle that science can literally not determine. Or or ha- or you cannot amalgamate a creation around in the first place, which is the human element. There's no way to scientifically brainstorm a, a, a an exact you know genetic makeup or chemistry around like, hey, this is exact. This is if you do these things, the sale will close. Well, guess what? Do those things and then invite me to the bid. And I'll show you exactly why you'll lose every time because sure, I'll use the same science that you're using, but I will do it in an abstract way that is so beautiful to the client and exciting and, and, and almost risky to an extent as well, too, that creates a moment for them to say like, Ooh, this actually feels good for me. You know, this is, I feel like I'm developing as a buyer through this process. Right. (laughs) And, and, And the thing is, is that most people call me crazy for acting like this. Right. But I, I mean, like before I started this business and I say this mostly because I, I got to listen to, to what you guys do and and understand it a little bit better. And I think this is important to your audience that when I started my company, I had plenty of options not to do this. I had plenty <laughs> of options to make seven figures somewhere else. I had plenty of, and I had created a brand already online through LinkedIn and it was very copier centric. And I could have stayed in that industry and I could have been extraordinarily successful not to say that I wasn't leading up to it, but but I mean, like, from the perspective of what most people dream of having, right? Being 50 years old and being like, I don't literally don't need to work anymore. And I haven't for the last eight years, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that's what people dream up in their mind that that ultimately they desire. But what I found by doing the things that I did is that it's more than that, that, that if I want to be a better Dale, right, which means a better husband, a better dad, a better friend, a better uncle, a better son, 
right? A better nephew. If I want to be that person, I have to think so much bigger and less rigid than how do I make a ton of money and, 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 you know, storm the castle of success in my industry. You have to think about how am I impacting people? How am I creating relevance around evolution and change that needs to happen inside of an industry? Because there's always a catalyst for change inside of anything and everything, right? And there's a disruptor out there. Every single person has it in them to be that disruptor. It's a tough choice, though. It's like we y'all were just saying, like <laughs> running business like this, it's it's almost like a, a taboo subject to an extent. Like, ah, don't don't even bring that up. Right. Like because 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 it it doesn't it's not sexy to people because it doesn't come with a brand new Lexus and a six thousand square foot house with a 14 car garage. Right. Right. But 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 I just literally sold everything I owned and all my status and all the things that I worked so hard for to have nothing to live in the woods, to be with my people and to continue to build my tribe because that's what matters more than anything mm. else. And so, so ultimately I know I kind of like, I did a little loop there, right? But ultimately everything that we've talked about in this, this desire to be able to create outcomes for people that were exciting more so than anything else derived from something so much bigger. People have to think outside of their box of success, right? Because the world yeah. would tell us that success is these five things. And that is not the truth. And we have to stop letting our lives, especially through business, be dictated by people that are so disconnected that they don't even look like humans anymore in the first place, right? They, I own 700 businesses and, and I'm the biggest online retailer. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care at all because you're on your fourth wife. Your kids hate you. Your reputation sucks, outside of the world that looks up to your wealth, right? And that's an empty place for a guy like me. And because of it, I did everything differently. And that's it in a nutshell. I love it. I love it. You know, usually we have this segment on on this on the show where we ask people to rant, you know, for a minute. You just did for a good you just 12. Did it. So I'm, I'm just going to leave that alone, we'll man. Leave it that alone. was epic. That was awesome. <laughs> I, I would so, love to hear, Dale, about this tribe. Right. Yeah. You talked about your tribe. I know you got your 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 wife and, and, and son right there, but like you you have a bigger tribe that you are able to to serve. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, the, the ultimately like the, the sales rebellion is is a vision toward ult, the, having this this concept of just leading a rebellion, you know, like the HR rebellion, the life rebellion, the food rebellion, right? Like the sales rebellion is a is a catalyst toward what what ultimately mine and my business partner Jeff Vegas's visions are that that the world needs a rebellion. But I'm mm. good at sales. I, I had a ton of success, and we and we and I personally saw the opportunity to be able to serve a a very quiet minority inside of the sales world. I said, there are so many people out there like me. I know it in my bones mm. and I've, and I've randomly met them in opportune moments and in ways where it, it didn't feel scarce right outside of me. And it almost felt like the same exact ideas, which was wild. Right. But, you know, mentor like silent mentors, like Stu Hynek were, were part of the, the, the momentum of that, where I picked up a book called how to get a meeting with anyone back when I was, you know, very curating these things for the first time ever, which I know I totally didn't answer that question. Right. But, but that's, this is where I am answering it. You like how I did that. So the thought process being that, Oh, cool. There are people out there that want to give experiences, there are people out there that that care about what happens to people inside of the sales cycle, and they don't just care about their quota and their commission. 
Right. And so so now the buyer doesn't have to smell that stinky fish commission. Wow. Breath, right. In the first place. Mm. And and we can really connect with people on a different level because of it, because if I have an expectation of I'm just here to serve, if you decide I'm not the right fit for you, that's your call. Uh, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that you see exactly the magnitude of which I can come in and create change for this organization. And it's on me if you decide not to go with me ultimately. And, and I don't, I'm not going to be butthurt <laughs> for lack of a better way to say it over that because I live in abundance. Right. And I am, I am cultured around that concept as well too. And I'm a very spiritual person on top of it. Right. So my, the way that I live my life is so much different than the majority of people that were out there doing what I was doing. So I saw this, this identity to be able to say, okay, cool. Because of that, what's probably happening is that there's a very, like I said, silent minority of people. And as soon as we started getting loud, man, we found, I have found people all over the world in all shapes and sizes, salespeople for sure. But I've had people come up to me that are like janitors, right? Or that are, that are brokers, you know, for a financial network. And, and that's that like come and like whisper in my ear, right? Hey, keep doing what you're doing. Don't tell anybody mm. I said that <laughs> because I might get fired. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah. and, and, but ultimately we have found a tribe of people out there that, that care about how they impact the community that are more centric toward what it is that we fix than what it is that we sell. Right. Mm, that are, wow. that are much that. more capable of becoming something that, that is, that is worth a damn. Right. And that builds a legacy as opposed to just like, Oh, look, look at that guy over there. That's got the private jet and the big fancy car and, and the supermodel wife. And, Oh, isn't he living the life, right? There, there, there are people out there that see past that. And that is our tribe. That is our community. And so, yeah, the family's part of that too, right? Ultimately that's that my whole family is cultured around the same mindset. This is my dad's way, right? You know, my, the rebel way is essentially the way that my father raised me. The mindset of a servant leader. How do we disconnect from all these expectations and how do we instead simply serve? And that's what the tribe is. So people that are a part of the rebellion community, they're not always in sales. Mm. Sometimes they're just storytellers. Sometimes they're just UPS package people, right? I mean, really? they just saw our message and thought this is ultimately how I've always wanted to live my life or that I live my life currently. And we accept all applications inside of our community. <laughs> I love that. Tell us about that community. Where can people find you? Tell us about the community. Who shows up? And well, first, tell me a little bit about how that got born. I obviously got born out of your experience, your background. But did you create something that you wish you had? What was the, how, how did that tribe get cultivated? Yeah. Yeah, I think in sales, like uh, especially in my industry, was, uh, people were pitted up against each other. Like, okay, you couldn't grab a beer with another copier guy, right? That was nuts. <clears throat> you know, like once you get a spot, steal all your secrets and take all your clients. Like, you know, like even I remember getting on LinkedIn and my boss being like, "Dude, don't be friends with your competition. They'll see that you're friends with, you know, the owner of this place, and they'll know that you sell him copiers, and they'll try to go sell them." And I was just like, "What is like?" who are you people? And why do you think like this? It's such a wow. scarcity mindset. Right. And yeah. so for me, I didn't have it. And so I wanted it. And so I created it. And and right now it's a Slack group, right? The, the vision is, you know, it's conferences once a year. And when I say conferences, I mean, unlike anything anybody's ever experienced, right. That you walk in, you scan a little thing on your arm and, and you, you go into a pitch black room with a little green light and, and, and somebody stands up on stage and says for the next 48 hours, this is what we're going to be doing. And, and it's all about you. Right. And, and giving people something so much different than just like, hi, 
guy. I'm a guy that's made a lot of money and I'm up here to <laughs> talk about it for 45 minutes and not that there's anything wrong with people's success, but ultimately people are starved for what will truly create a better person, right? Mm. Which is them, right? They're starved for that. And, and conferences suck because of it and, and communities suck because of it, right? But what we're trying to build is something more than just like, hey, come and ask a question from the guru, right? If you go to our Slack channel, for example, and it's still being curated, our, our ultimately there's a big vision for our community, but there's 2000 people in there, word of mouth, right? Wow. We don't advertise it. We don't ask people to join. There's just 2000 people in there and some change and they are in there actively flourishing, right? We don't even have to guide and direct people. Just, they know our message. They know what we're about. Occasionally I'm in there with some cool content, some fun things to do. Right. But, but it's people. That's what our community truly is. It's actually a community. It's a bunch of people that are connecting, that are building, that are networking and that are, that are living through purpose inside of the rebellion that they're carrying out for themselves. Love it. How do they Where find do we, it? How do we find it? Sign so me you up. Can, you can take just go my to money. The, the <laughs> take my credit card. Dale. It's free. The Slack community. No, is take free. my card. That's the best Sell me. Upsell me. We listen. We're happy to have you just pay us for no reason. That's totally fine too. So <laughs> you drive a Lamborghini. Show me. <laughs> no, I I own two Hondas that are 2012 and 2016 in my driveway, and they're really dirty right now because it's dirty on a mountain. So it's dude, I'm with I you. Look, my, I'm, my I'm gross. Car, I I drive my dream car. It's a 30 year old Jeep Wrangler with a straight six. It's a money sucking monster. It barely goes 55 without blowing apart on the highway. And her name is Dusty. Oh, and that's Dusty. my dream car. And you can come oh, ride it. Me. If you come to Denver, you visit me and we will. Take um, it's out. it's on. Well, we're going to the lake first, but I'll say lake first. All right. Lake point, first. So. Then, all right. Yeah, but anybody can go to the salesrebellion.com and hit resources on the top of the page, right side. It's very easy to find. Hit the resources page. Slack channel is one of the first things that you'll see at an icon at the top. And peruse the website. Enjoy. Hang out. See what other market tools we have available. See the blog. See the free stuff. See the, the paid programs. You know, get to know what it is that we're all about and what we're doing. And we welcome the feedback that people have toward our community and toward the things that we're doing as well, too, because we want to be a collaborative system. You know, ultimately we don't just want to be a company. We want to be a movement. And because of that, we're looking for people from all shapes and sizes that believe in the things that we believe, right? People, community over commission checks, experiences over pitches and fellowship over negotiations, right? Come and be a part of our tribe, come and, and, and breathe life into it alongside of us because ultimately the sales rebellion is about the community. It's not about us. Damn. This is why we do the show, right? Like to meet dudes that get it like, yes the fact that you get it at you're still a young guy like the fact that you get it dale it's refreshing it's like energetic it's attractive and like awesome for you to like go do what you're doing and put people like this together mm -hmm. i i had lunch with a, a young kid oh young he's like 24 and he's like man i'm i'm looking for this kind of group and i wanted to look like this this and this i said hey if the group you want does it exist just start it and he did like you did it. That, yeah. That's what you did. And like, it's attractive, dude. And you clearly get it. There's there is a rebellion going on. Brandon and I see it. We're part of it and glad to see that there's other warriors out there. Now, you got to find your sword, though, Dale. Brandon is next to his toilet. Like, yes, it's there. Yes. Like if I if I needed to defend myself while in right. his bathroom, right. I could defend myself. I do. It's my ninja awesome. sword. I bought it when I was in high school and it's I've kept it forever because I like ninjas and stuff and warriors yeah, and I, cutting things and looking scary. I, I wasn't sure where I need why I needed it, but right. I, I was glad that did. it was there. Just in so. case. 
Just so, in case. Yeah. That's all you need I mean, to know, Bob. That's safety right there, guys. I mean, <laughs> it is. It is. So, well, right. dude, it was it was really good getting to know you. Thanks for taking time out of your day and like sharing, sharing. It was, it was really cool. It was really refreshing. We, we love chatting with people that get it. Yes, you clearly do. And people are going to really I think they're going to be connected to this. And we're going to encourage everybody to go to, you know, join this community. Like if this resonates with you, like go join it. Like good for you, man. Well, I appreciate y'all having me on. It's an honor. And I, you know, personally, I believe time's the most important thing that we can give to one another. So I just want to say thanks. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you having me here. Yeah, thanks for being present. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd, a show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder.